reading from Isaiah, the 64th chapter. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down, so that the mountains would quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, so that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome deeds that we did not expect, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. From ages past, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God but you, who works for those who wait for him. You meet those who gladly do right, those who remember you in your ways, but you were angry and we sinned. Because you hid yourself, we transgressed. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. There is no one who calls on your name or attempts to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the hand of our iniquity. Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hands. Do not be exceedingly angry, O Lord, and do not remember iniquity forever. Now consider, we are all your people. The word of the Lord. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So I haven't noticed this before, serving as vicar at St. John's, and in my new role I have to pay close attention to the seasons of the church year, but it's interesting to me that the readings for the beginning of Advent, which is the beginning of the church year, is centered on the meaning of the end. It seems that wrestling with the meaning of beginning with the end is the task the church has set for us and for all Christians for many centuries. And finding some understanding of beginning with the end is essential for understanding the shape of faith. In the readings from the Gospel of Mark, which we heard on the Sundays, the end came with suffering and darkness and stars falling from heaven and the Son of Man coming down on a cloud. This is an image of the warrior God, an ancient symbol that predates Christianity, but with deep Christian roots and many touchstones in Scripture as well. This is the image of God we hear in this reading from Isaiah, a God who has power to shake the heavens so the stars fall to earth, has power to do just about anything. Isaiah prophesies about a God who could tear open the heavens and come down and make the mountains shake. He sings of a God who has done powerful things in the past, a God at whose feet all the nations tremble and all their adversaries bow down in worship. This is a God 
who could actually bring about the end of the world as we know it. And for people who are waiting, trusting in the power of God to make God's will happen on earth, these signs of power are exhilarating and exciting. A warrior God seems like exactly the God we want when there is so much chaos and disorder that any other God would just be too soft to fix it. For those in the world who are suffering or profoundly dissatisfied by feelings of powerlessness, a God of power and might is exactly what they need to bring an end to an impossible situation from which they cannot free themselves. Power and might is what it takes for God to do a new thing. As the stars are falling and the heavens shaking, they might be singing, it's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. But Isaiah is not really feeling fine in this passage. He wants this God of frightening power because he's fed up with God doing nothing at all. He and his people are being oppressed. The temple has been destroyed in Jerusalem, and it seems that God either doesn't care or is punishing them for their sins. He and the people are wasting away, and he can only ask why God would let this happen. His is a profound lamentation, and the anger, the almost fiery rage, which calls forth this imagery of the divine warrior God, turns to deep sadness. The people are losing faith. He says, We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. There is no one who calls on your name or attempts to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the hand of our iniquity. Yet, the trust with which he addresses God so boldly at the beginning, the trust in the power of God as a warrior, in spite of all the evidence to the contrary, this deep trust underlies his lament. It is trust in the power of God which makes his lament possible. For if God had really abandoned him, he would not have the courage to lament at all. The hope in which we too wait for the coming of our Savior includes the lament that Jesus is not yet come again, even as we have learned to trust the promised coming of Jesus at Christmas. And then, perhaps because of the honesty and confession springing forth in this lament, Isaiah's anger is spent, and the image of God he speaks turns from divine warrior to a father, a potter, who tenderly, gently molds his people into his image. Yet, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay, and you are the potter, We are all the work of your hand. This is an abrupt U-turn from the image of the warrior God which began his lament. This turn towards tenderness and caring mercy of God points to the God who is still with them, even in waiting. God the potter comforts and shapes them, even in suffering. 
God the potter's power is shown in tenderness. For the warrior God would only crush the clay. This is the God who hasn't abandoned them and is open to the possibility that perhaps in forbearance and gentleness, God's face is most clearly shown. The power of this image of God in this gentle strength and the molding wisdom of the potter's hands is perhaps even more potent to change a world than any other. This is truly a new beginning. The turn towards mercy is remarkable. And the God who has the power to shake things up and end the world as we know it is even more powerfully revealed in this tender and loving image. The God for whom we wait, the Savior to be born at Christmas, in fact, went one step further. In Christ, God not only molds and fashions the clay of humanity, the God for whom we wait changes everything by showing power in the humblest of ways. In Christ, God's self becomes the clay and shows that the clay is good enough for God's purposes. And this is Advent. Advent interrupts time. God's promise in Advent frees us, brings an end to the old, and casts a vision of something new. We are still clay, awaiting the redemption of our image. We have not arrived yet, and our patience is wearing thin. Yet, God's power has not wavered, and God will turn what looks like absence into surprising and merciful transformation. God will turn the brutal image of judgment and the end into the tender growth of new life springing forth from our very bodies. God's promise to be with us it's God's promise to be with us is more true than we can imagine. For God unites God's self with us so completely that in Christ, God will become human, like us. In this move of incredible mercy, the God we think we deserve becomes the God we always needed. God's end is actually a new beginning. God shapes us for God's coming kingdom, even when we cannot see it. We see the end, and God shows us the beginning. We see darkness, and God brings light. We see a cross, and God brings resurrection and life. We are clay. Yet God's love enters into the very being that we live by faith and will not be separated from us. In Christ, God's self molds and fashions us into newly made vessels of mercy and love, bringing hope and salvation to all the world. Amen.